Where am I? Good morning. I'm Judith Lay, welcoming you to Praise, the programme that connects faith and daily life. One of the most senior leaders of the United Reformed Church in the UK is on the island this weekend. In a moment, we'll find out why he's here. We'll also find out why the Leprosy Mission is looking for hospital heroes. But first, to anybody born in Wales, I wish you a very happy St David's Day. Let's celebrate the life and witness of all the saints with this hymn from the Huddersfield Choral Society. For all the saints who from their labours rest. Huddersfield Choral Society celebrating St David and all the saints who from their labours rest. 
David was a great preacher and teacher and a renowned missionary who founded several monasteries and worked a number of miracles, including restoring the site of his teacher and, most famously, creating an entirely new hill whilst preaching an outdoor sermon. History also records that David ate only bread, herbs and vegetables and drank only water. And for this reason, he is the patron saint of vegetarians and vegans. Reverend Nigel Uden is the moderator of the United Reformed Church General Assembly, making him one of the most senior members of the team who lead the United Reformed Church, a family of Christians worshipping in about 1,500 churches around the UK. Nigel is on the island this weekend at the invitation of Ramsey Methodist and United Reformed Church and St Andrew's United Reformed Church here in Douglas for a day of study, reflection and worship led by Reverend Nigel and held yesterday in the conference rooms in Ramsey Park Hotel. In a moment we'll find out what was the theme of the day. But first, let's find out a little about Reverend Nigel himself. As someone who spent his entire adult life in the service of the United Reformed Church, I wondered if ordained ministry was the only thing he'd ever wanted to do. Well, ministry itself probably was not a total surprise. When I was 14, I was first approached by one of my teachers at school to say, have you ever thought of ministry? Which I then steadfastly tried to avoid for some years. But by the time I was 23, I did um, candidate for ministry in the United Reformed Church and was ordained when I was 26. Were you from a Christian household, Nigel? I wasn't from an un-Christian household, though I think it, I wasn't brought up to go to church. The reason I went to church was because I joined the church choir when I was six years old. And as I often say to people, I've been paid to go to church ever since singing in the choir, then I became an organist and then an ordinand and then for the last 35 years a minister. So I have been involved in the church all of my knowing life and I can't think of being anywhere else really. You do list music appreciation among the top of your interests now. Oh, I would say that there are three M's in my life, ministry, marriage and music and certainly my path into faith was through music. And when you're singing two services a Sunday the whole of your life, it has an osmotic sort of effect. You just gradually absorb more and more of what you are taking in. So music has been definitive in my faith and is still a key part of my worship. Nigel, you're over here at the invitation of jointly the United Reformed Church and the Methodist Church, who are forging a very beautiful partnership in the north of the island, but this is open to Methodist United Reformed Church members and indeed others from all around the island. Could you give me an idea of what you've been talking to the people about, please? Well, essentially what I've been trying to explore is the way in which our Sunday-by-Sunday Sunday life in the church, our worship of God through the different seasons of the year, so obviously Christmas and Easter, but also those that are not as um, well-known like Lent and Advent and Pentecost, all those seasons, to see how can they inform our understanding of God as God is in Jesus. And also, how can they help us live out our faith in today's world? So if we're Easter people, we can reveal the living love of God that nothing could defeat. If we're Christmas people, we can be symbols as the church of God who is with us. 
in the baby of Bethlehem. So that's the sort of message that I've been trying to speak about. Easter comes along, Christmas comes along, we know the stories. Do you think there is a need for us to be reminded of just how special they are? Yes, I do, and I think the way that the Church for centuries has shaped its year around the gradual retelling of those stories is absolutely essential, as long as we allow the way that we retell them to evolve so that we don't still retell them in the way that we did 50 years ago, but we enable them to be relevant to the world in which God sets us today and indeed do it with the benefit of all sorts of technology that we didn't have generations ago. But yes, fundamentally I agree with you that they do need to be stories that we return to annually. And if you think about the church year, it's really got two main sections from the beginning of December through to the period at late spring, we are telling the story of Jesus from expectation through to Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then for the rest of the church here, we're thinking about how do we respond to that? How do we build a life of following Jesus and of being instruments of God's mission in today's world through those things that God shows to us of God's self in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus? By and large, the bits of those narratives, whether it's the birth of Jesus or the death of Jesus on Good Friday or the resurrection, the vital bits of those stories are the difficult bits. They're not the comfortable bits. There is something glorious and wonderfully consoling about the knowledge that God is with us and that the God who is with us loves us. But actually, the challenge is that the cost of love that transforms the world is a high cost. And if the church today is to be continuing the mission that God started in Jesus, then we have to be willing to be people who live out the love of God in costly ways that aren't about making us feel better, but about making the world a context for the victory of truth, of mercy, forgiveness, of charity. And that will often mean that like Jesus did, we must choose to walk with people who are marginalised, people whose lives aren't as comfortable as the lives of most of us. Our task is not simply to peddle a message of comfort for us to clutch to ourselves. It's to proclaim the victory of that costly love of God in Christ that we're willing to live out in the power of the Holy Spirit. You've been in active ministry in the United Reformed Church since the mid-80s, and for almost the last 20 years you've been in positions of leadership. Have you seen a change that the Christian Church in general is struggling to re respond to over those years? The short answer to your question is yes. I think the Church is struggling to respond to the different world in which we are being called still to be the Church. Actually, though, I am pretty sure that God never established the church so that the church could have an easy time. I don't think God actually established the church so that it could be the very centre of society. I think what God was doing in Jesus and in the body of Christ after that was to establish a community that probably find their greatest effect when they're on the edge, 
when they've got a prophetic word that can be transforming of our society. So I do think that because we are experiencing in all the um, inherited traditions, certainly, uh, decline in numbers and therefore in our sense of what our place is in society and all that sort of thing, it can be dispiriting. But one of the things I am trying to say yesterday and today is that to be the church isn't a call to ease, but a call to effective adoption of the mission that God has inaugurated in Jesus. Nigel, music is so key to your whole life. I have to ask you, please, to choose us some music. Oh, thank you for that opportunity. I think it's good to finish with music in all situations. I'd like to choose, if I may, a movement from the B minor Mass by Johann Sebastian Bach, the movement from the Creed, which is about the resurrection of Jesus, the et resurrexit. And I like that because I think for the Church to be proclaiming in 2020 that God in Christ is reliably resurrected and is Lord of all and is best defined by the victory of love is the message we need to proclaim.
Music Celebrating the Resurrection of Jesus Christ from Bach's Mass in B minor. The music choice of my guest this morning, Reverend Nigel Uden, who is the moderator of the United Reformed Church General Assembly. Hospital Heroes is our next topic, and here for his spring visit to the island, it's my pleasure to welcome to the programme once again Paul Moores, who is our representative here on the Isle of Man for the Leprosy Mission, a charity that has a great body of support on the island. This is probably your longest visit, isn't it, Paul? It is, yeah. I'm here for three weeks this time, Judith, yes. And they are three packed weeks. They are, yes. You're in the schools, you're in churches of all denominations, you're with fellowship groups, and now we're going to talk about this year's new campaign. Yes. Now, just to quickly recap about leprosy, we can tend to think that was mentioned in the Bible. Jesus healed the 10 lepers. Now, that was 2,000 years ago. Surely it's not still a problem today, but it is, Paul, isn't it? Very sadly, yes. The Leprosy Mission uh, England and Wales and the Leprosy Mission Isle of Man work in 10 nations across Africa and Asia. The common denominator in all of the regions where we work is poverty, poor hygiene, etc. Leaves them wide open, not just to leprosy, but to all sorts of tropical diseases and all sorts of ailments. So we are involved in, in educating as well as bringing medical solutions to people as well. Because it is a virus that is treatable, but the problem is if it isn't treated in time, the consequences are devastating. We have seen people who've lost limbs, the results of burning, because of course the first thing that happens is the limb, the hand or the foot is desensitised, isn't it? So Absolutely. you can injure yourself even just walking with a stone in your shoe. You're not aware of that or, or touching a hot cooking pot. It's classed to be like a disease of anaesthesia. You know, when, when an anaesthetic numbs something, the anaesthesia sets in at the extremities of the body. And so, like you say, with the, the fingers and toes and around the eyes, there's no feeling there. And so if they don't get treated quickly enough, they start to lose parts of the body and start to deteriorate fast, really. And the saddest thing about this also is the stigma that's attached to it. Nobody will admit that they have it because they will be driven out of the community, won't they? Absolutely. At the heart of our Nepal campaign last year was the story of young Ram who had even got married and not told his wife for fear of her telling her family and them getting thrown out of the village where they are. So absolutely, in in, in a lot of countries, there's still an incredibly strong stigma that goes with the disease. So I can well understand, as you say, education is at the core as as much as administering the drugs, which incidentally are made free, aren't they? are available free of charge, the actual drugs, aren't they? Absolutely, yeah. We've got what's called a multi-drug therapy, which is a series of antibiotics that if people take them over a period of time can bring full healing. But like you say, it's getting that medication to people in good time really that's the key so really the work of the leprosy mission is education it's moving the drugs around to where they need to be yes and also then of course dealing with the consequences of people who have leprosy and who've lost limbs one of the things i found in my first couple of years with the leprosy mission is that every individual counts every individual is seen as precious to god and so we don't literally have a conveyor belt of, of lots of people but we tend to pour time into people's lives to make sure that beyond whatever treatment we give them they have hope for the future they have a means of moving forward with their lives once we've helped them with the actual medical problem that they're tackling. Now this year Paul the country that we're focusing on is the one that used to be called Burma, Myanmar now. Myanmar yes. We've had leprosy mission hospitals in Myanmar for over 120 years. The biggest of these is in a place called Malamyin which is the fourth biggest city in the nation there and one of the things that's been recognised amongst the staff there 
there and amongst the leprosy mission in general is that the next generation of what we've called hospital heroes in our campaign this year, which is doctors, nurses, medical staff, that seems to be drying up. And so we're having something of a recruitment drive this year where we're looking to bring new blood into the care within Myanmar, the staff within Myanmar. And so we're looking to recruit the next wave of doctors, the next wave of care professionals. Initially, we're looking within Myanmar and the nations just around Myanmar, so within India and one or two of the other nations just on the doorstep there. I'm quite sure somebody with the skills to treat somebody who has leprosy could get a lot of money working elsewhere. I I don't suppose the leprosy mission is able to pay at the level that other hospitals might do. I guess you're looking for people who've really got the heart of God for this. Absolutely, yeah. And one of the key individuals that we have at the heart of the story this year is a young man called Dr. Saw, amazingly. And he really is a superhero. Dr. Saw is a very, very skilled surgeon who, as you say, could earn lots more money elsewhere, but feels called to those affected by leprosy. He works at the hospital there in Myanmar. And our team that went out there to put our campaign together saw his lifestyle and he basically eats with the patients, he counsels them, he spends time with them, he doesn't just perform surgery and then move them on. He's very much spends 24-7 of his life helping those affected by leprosy and yes we need the next wave of Dr. Saws coming through. To get people to have the heart to do this work it needs a lot of prayer investing in it. Yes. When the leprosy mission was first founded Wellesley Bailey who was the, the founder actually made a statement that it was a mission that was birthed in prayer and uh, again one of the things that impacted me when I first joined the mission was that every day the staff of the leprosy mission down at our head office in Peterborough and people like myself who were remote get together for a prayer meeting every morning 9.30 and so yeah we soak everything that we do in prayer and we definitely encourage all of our supporters as we travel around please pray that doors open and, and amazingly we see things happen literally on the back of that sort of activity. There's no getting away from it the work that you're doing is difficult I mean we talked last year about the natural conditions in Nepal yeah. they're subject to all kinds of natural disasters and so the road that you might have used yesterday could be washed away overnight and they don't have the means to rebuild that. Myanmar, what was Burma, it's a very troubled nation, isn't it? Liable to political unrest. Yeah, it's had the longest civil war in history and there's been so much infighting and, and it continues to, to this day. There's still troubles on the Bangladeshi border. Even the leader of the country has been involved in having to answer questions on human rights issues quite recently. So it's almost like the inner turmoil that goes on there limits it as a nation and it, it stops people investing there. It stops people coming to their aid because there's almost a, a, a trouble at the heart of the nation the whole time. So yes, it it needs our prayers that some peace comes to the nation as well as all the other aid that they need, really. And praying is something every single one of us can do. Absolutely. Paul Moores, thank you very much indeed for joining us this morning. Thank you, Judith.
Some more saint-inspired music there, a traditional tune with words by John Bell of the Iona community. For all the saints who've shown your love in how they live and where they move. And before that, I was talking to Paul Moores, our link between the Leprosy Mission Isle of Man and the Leprosy Mission Worldwide. Friday, March the 6th, is World Day of Prayer. It used to be called Women's World Day of Prayer, but the name change reflects the important fact that whilst the service itself is prepared by an ecumenical group of women from one particular country, this time of prayer is, and always has been, open to everyone. This year's service has been written by the women of Zimbabwe, and the same words will be used right around the world, drawing us all into a great circle of informed prayer, as, through the service, we'll learn more about the country and the needs of its people. There'll be services at different times around the island. These are just the ones that I know about, and they're all on this coming Friday, March the 6th. There's an afternoon service in the parish church in Kirkmichael at 2 o'clock, an evening service in St George's Church here in Douglas at 7pm and another evening service in St Paul's Church Hall in Ramsey at half past seven with refreshments afterwards and a warm welcome for everyone. Thank you for listening to this week's Praise Podcast. There's a new Praise Podcast available every Sunday morning. You can subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify via the Manx Radio smartphone app or at manxradio.com. So, till we meet again, this is Judith saying thank you for your company and I wish you and those you love every blessing in the days ahead. Station